This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And we believe that an armed society is a polite society. Yes. Am I right? Doesn't all of your town have guns? <laughs> there are some here. No question. Oh. No question. Better, yeah. Better be polite. We, we, we don't carry them around, at least not that I'm aware of. But uh, that's what... I think what, this is the uh, first book where the, that idea came, came from. Oh, yeah? I think so. I was, I, was reading, I was reading something that said it was kind of a Joseph, not Joseph, uh, John Campbell thing. Um, yeah, well, this book is highly influenced by John Campbell. Let's talk about what, what, what book is this? Oh, this book what is called, it's called Beyond This Horizon by Robert A. Heinlein, who's or, somebody who's probably going to be pretty famous one day. Or as it was originally published under a pseudonym, Anson MacDonald. Ah, Okay. Interesting. Um, you see, can I'm totally it tell that it was Heinlein. Oh, it's so <laughs> obvious. Yeah. Um, copyright 1942, is that right? Uh, 42, yep. 42, okay. So where it does it... Serialized in two parts. Yes. Okay, in, where does uh, it... Astounding. Where does it put this novel in Heinlein's career? Is this an early one? Or... Very early. I think it's early. a se- second one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's... And the first one was lost. It was never published until now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's and for us, The Living? Similar. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how the, the the schedule works on his his writing career, and they're they're very similar in in some ways, and uh, kind of dissimilar in others. Mm-hmm. There's no nudity or free love in this one, but there was in the first one. Uh, yeah, a lot of nudity in in the uh, for us the living, and and there is a little. I mean, the idea of free love, I guess, is also in this as well, but. It, it they don't go into it a lot. Uh, one of the characters says uh, very strangely. The woman says, um, uh, "You don't understand women very well." <laughs> when he's saying, "What you want me to go sleep with other women?" and, and he says, Are, you, "You can't be serious. Says, you don't understand women very well." It's like, uh, I don't think Heinlein understands women very well. <laughs> That's what yeah. I would say. Right, right. I mean, yeah, so it doesn't say free love specifically, but the. Uh, um, marriages are very easily dissolved and mm-hmm. appear to happen all the time, just you know, on a whim. Yeah, you just go register. Right, right. It's like a register for uh, a dinnerware pattern. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I was thinking of that novel before uh, Beyond Amazing Astounding. And oh how, yeah, uh, Highland had an open marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and um, yeah, uh, there's a, a lot of themes in this book. It's it's it almost. Uh, I I don't think it's a very good novel myself, um, just because it's it's sort of scattered everywhere. But you could tell Heinlein wrote it, and he had a lot of ideas that he wanted to get out. Yeah, um, yeah, and that, that's how I felt about it too. The plot was not all that interesting, no. but his the ideas were very interesting, and they kept me going throughout the whole thing, and. Um, you know, the, there was a couple of action sequences and not really sure what the point was to a lot of stuff. But whenever there was a conversation about something like genetics or, um, 
economics even at the beginning mm-hmm. he talks about economics it was really interesting and yeah. um so it's so like a string of, a string of ideas broken up by action and it's usually the other way around yeah. but it it was still um i don't know it, I, I don't know it wasn't a great book but the ideas were very interesting i guess that's no, what i had to say it's very poorly poorly uh thought through in terms of a novel Mm-hmm. And that might that might have been because it was being written serialized as well. It's kind of hard to understand how all these ideas fit together into a coherent plot. Yeah, and it's uh, also interesting to me that it appears to be a novel in two pieces because yeah. it definitely shifts gears right near the middle. And now you're uh, you just uh, sent me a picture of. Um, the, the front page of the second half. So it was yeah. serialized in two pieces. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's two different types of book, really. At least. At least two, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought, like, after the revolution was, uh, after that revolution scene, I thought it would be over, but then it just kind of kept going. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So how should we summarize this book? <laughs> Very difficult. <laughs> I um, <guess> <laughs> I, I, there's a there's a there's a summary from the the original uh, serialization of the second half that summarizes what's gone before, but that is in itself maybe I don't know a two thousand word essay, so hmm. it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> hard to summarize it. Um, we could look at the Wikipedia entry maybe. Okay. Um, for the overview. Hmm. So. Yeah, we'll just dispense with the idea that we're uh, going to spoil it because I, I I don't think you can spoil this book. The 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 ending, which is supposed to put the whole novel into a different light. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's telegraphed from very early on. Mm-hmm. I think, and and if you've read any of uh, John W. Campbell's inspired uh, uh, writers before, <coughs> you're going to know that you know he really likes telepathy, which is ridiculous, but. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, uh, so uh, here's here's what the Wikipedia's overview says. The novel depicts, this is beyond this horizon, the novel depicts a world where genetic selection for increased health, longevity, and intelligence has become so widespread that the unmodified, con- quote-unquote, control naturals are carefully managed and protected minority. Dueling and carrying of arms is socially accepted mi- way of maintaining civil civility in public. A man can wear distinctive clothing to show his unwillingness to duel, but this results in a lower social status. The world has become an economic utopia from the economic dividend so that work has become optional. And the chief economic problem facing society is an economic surplus, finding a way to get rid of the extra money that everybody has. (laughs) Um, And then Tommy, you found a list of the characters in the story. There's a, maybe six of them. Is that right? Yeah. Well, and there's all the uh, technical terms mixed in there, too. Okay. Um, so, Hamilton Felix. And this is, this is uh, the society's backwards uh, with regards to names. So, r- really, it would be Felix Hamilton, right? Right. But you call him Hamilton Felix. It's yeah, and I wonder why. Like is that, does that have yeah, to do with sure. uh, the genetics piece first? You know, it's Maybe. like the, the Hamilton genetic line, and then his name is Felix. They do that in some society in Korea. It's family name first. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. where's that list of uh, characters in the book? Well, I I put the link in the chat. Okay. But they're they're all like mixed with other stuff. Okay, so Hamilton Felix or Felix Hamilton is is the main character. He's he's a uh, he's a special guy. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. got special yeah. genetic code. Um, he's kind of like a Cuisette Satirac, I guess. Is, is the idea, I guess right? I guess so, but yeah, he's not you he's know running lot. around doing anything special or anything. But he's no, got he's these uh, these genetics that are supposed to be superior. <laughs> And that's when I first started getting interested in the book was his conversation with that um, this guy named, was it Marden? Mardone yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Morden Claude. Morden Claude, right. Or and Claude he's Morden. talking about, he says to, the, to Hamilton Felix, he says, hey, you've got a, he was called his manager or something, right? His, uh, almost like a handler or something. Yeah. Like everybody has this this mentor or something that they're He's supposed to report to moderator. Okay. Gotcha. So he goes into this person. Well, the person calls him in, you know, he says, Hey, you have an appointment with the, you know, this person. So, uh, Felix Hamilton decides to go. And for some reason, Felix Hamilton is against having kids. Yeah. So this guy says, Hey, you, you have a very special genetic line that's been engineered or, it hasn't really been added to. I guess what they do is they just kind of choose traits, mm-hmm. and they just keep uh, choosing traits and then choose the mate to try and uh, make the genetics better. But they're not. I didn't get the impression that they were in there splicing genes and adding uh, things. They seem to be selecting. Right, selecting, selecting. Um, exactly. Right. They, they and they seem to be doing it on the. Ma- I I didn't understand how they would do it on the females exactly, but mm-hmm. on males, what they would do is they would say, "Here's a." Um, Here's the f- female X chromosome uh, on this uh, on this sperm. This basically this the whole novel's about sperm, which mm-hmm. is very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they never mention the word sperm, but they use uh, germplasm. I guess is mm-hmm. yeah. Is, everybody wants the main character's germplasm. <laughs> 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 Some sort of sex fantasy for this book. Mm-hmm. Um, they should call it sperm wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the idea I think is they, they can, in a, in a batch of sperm, they can identify which, which, uh, particular, um, cell the, the, um, sperm has come from. Mm -hmm. And then by finding the X chromosome sperm, uh, they can find the exact match Y chromosome sperm. They can't look at them directly, but if they look at one of them, that they they can sequence it and then pick the other one and use that as the uh, one that they're going to do. I guess. I guess right. it's um. So yeah, it, basically what they're doing is they're saying, okay, out of all these sperm, this is the best one according to whatever I criteria, our criteria is, mm-hmm. and then we're going to match this with the best egg again yeah, to whatever our criteria is. Best egg. What's that? I'm not sure how they would match it to the best. I don't think that yeah. was explained. But okay. this is really, uh, he never mentions it, but it's in vitro fertilization, right? They're, uh-huh. they're, they're, they're taking uh, samples and trying to uh, perfect them in, in 
laboratory. I mean, they talk about separating the the Y's from the, the Y chromosomes from the X chromosomes to to do the to the do the whole thing, but it's uh it's actually a, it's got a, a great little lecture mini lecture on uh, on um, genetics in it. Yeah, um, yeah, and the genetics part was interesting too, and there was also some moral questions raised. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if the human race decides to genetically engineer or genetically plan, and they decide to get rid of certain traits, they can't really predict what the final result is going to be. Because, again, we've talked about this before on the podcast, where if you engineer violence out, for example, mm-hmm. we can't predict what effect that will have overall to the human race. It may, you know, remove drive or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's defenseless against something. Exactly. And so that they were talking about that. If, you know, we just don't know what the effects of our engineering will have in the future. And um, that was kind of a moral and they discussion they were having. Uh, they seem to think that there was uh, superior and inferior genetics. I mean, uh, in a in a way, this is also sort of the precursor to Gattaca. You know, the society is kind of obsessed with the the whether you have a sequence gene genome or not. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a mix between Gattaca and uh, Brave New World or something like that. It's very um, very focused on on birth selection. Everybody has a tattoo on them when they're born. What put on them, and it says like enhanced or uh, natural or experimental, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I so the experiment, the experiment. Oh, sorry. The the experiment. I just feel keeps saying egg. One of you's talking like, oh, great uh-huh. egg. What are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> I think that's like Jesus Christ is what they're saying. But yeah, the focus is definitely on on genetics being the the. The primary focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when uh, someone is experimental, what makes them experimental? Have they actually had something inserted into the genome, or what? Um, I'm not sure. I can't. I just don't recall that part. I know that there's naturals, and yeah. and naturals have no fiddling whatsoever, right? And I recall uh, one yeah, scene they're, they're, where he's with somebody and she sneezes and he's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah you're a natural." <laughs> she was an, no, she was the, an experimental. Oh, okay. It was worse. It was worse mm-hmm. because she's not a she's not a um, an enhanced version. Basically, what's really interesting is the the period in which it was written. This is um, 1942. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's written 41, 42, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, what's going on in uh, Europe at this time? Yeah, right? Hitler's uh, Hitler's trying to make the master race. Exactly, and um, so there is a lot of thinking going on in this, in the novel as to what what uh, would I mean? It, it, they talk about race a lot, but they're they're the focus. The the characters do. The focus seems to be on uh, some sort of genetic traits that would be actually useful in a survival situation but ultimately what it, what do they come down to it's it's uh possibly that we're going to be telepathic which is ridiculous but that's what 
they're sort of breeding for, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, so you're thinking that that was their aim or was it an accident? I I think it was the aim. I mean, mm-hmm. the 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 main character is convinced finally to have a child, right? Right, right. And the child turns out to be um turns out to be a uh, tel- telepath and he has a baby sister <laughs> who's coming who's also a telepath and uh, now we're in dune right, right. <laughs> and and she's a reincarnation too right yeah that's right exactly of a, of an old witch type lady from south america yeah yeah right um how did how did she insert herself into the baby well i think i think so part of the uh, one of the other themes the many many themes that's in this book is uh what's the even the main character felix he he doesn't want to give his sperm to this society that wants to uh create the perfect genetic group of people or whatever because there's no point in life he thinks mm-hmm. so he's he's having an existential uh doubts about uh, the purpose of life. He's happy to live his life, but he doesn't think there's any point in planning for generations beyond himself. And so he he's he's uh, try, he's swayed that they are researching what will happen in the future, and the result is, of course, reincarnation. Right? Mm-hmm. If if you do live on, then you should care about what happens after after you're dead. And yeah. uh, or if you're sure that you won't live on, then you can plan accordingly and not have any doubts. Yeah, I, I mean, one 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 character says that very very strange. There, at one point, there's a meeting of a whole bunch of people from around the world, and they they vote on on what they what they're gonna do. And and uh, I guess the leader of the group says, uh, everyone who believes that they Oh, everyone who has an opinion about what happens after you die, put your hand up, right? And everybody puts their hand up. And then he says, and everyone who's sure about their opinion, <laughs> leave your hand up. And one person leaves their hand up. Mm-hmm. And and then that person says something, and and it's like, what is Heinlein saying here? What is he saying? I don't understand like what's going on in his mind a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. is so, he's really good at telling... Uh, Telling you know a bunch of different situations, but I I, I don't I, I'm trying to understand why his focus and his 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 obvious obviously almost insanely crazy ideas seem to be spoken as as if they're common sense, and then we're supposed to like are we supposed to reject that or accept that? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah, and then he says things that make perfect sense. Sometimes, yep. Sometimes, like, can you give well, me? Well, you know, here's an example. You know, I was talking about how he was saying, um, you know, we don't know what the effects are going to be. Um, so just this is just a little piece. It says, um, artificial selection is fast if we have the wisdom to know what to select for, but we do not have the wisdom. It would take a Superman to plan a Superman. The race yeah. acquired the techniques. Of artificial selection without knowing what to select, so um, yeah, that uh, makes sense to me. But 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 by the same token, they're still selecting, 
Right. Right. Yep, they are. Um, yep. And uh, I mean, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of stuff in there that it's like, well, I I see you're trying to make a logical syllogism here. You're trying to you're trying to figure things out, but um, I don't think you're doing a very good job. And that that there's something wrong with part of what you're arguing. Like, for example, he talked about dominant uh, genes versus recessive genes, mm-hmm. and how good dom- <laughs> good dominant genes uh, won't um, drive out all the bad. Uh, <laughs> won't drive out if they're if they're too good, they'll they'll kill off the race because uh, they'll they'll kill off the genetic diversity. And it, yeah, that makes sense. But then he he's got the characters like uh, like our our main character Felix. He's he's got a good set of genes, but he is really just a really average Joe, right? Mm-hmm. Only thing that he that's distinct about him is that he's the fastest gun on the planet, right? <laughs> that's the right. only thing that we say. Oh man, this guy's he's got a skill. Everything else, he's like he's dumber than everyone else. Mm-hmm. I I would say he's dumber than the the old man character, whoever the who's the old man. Char- There's always an old the man. French guy. Yeah, is that Duchamp or? Claude uh, Morden, Mordant, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't he like a good philosopher or something? Yeah, he's the he's the old man character who knows everything and is trying to instruct the younger man who is our main. I thought that I thought they hired Felix as a philosopher or something, but they didn't yeah. tell him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and they, and they were talking about the the word synthesis, right? Too early on, right? Yeah. Um, I don't have that highlighted or anything, but they were. Well, Ta- he, talking he, about how there weren't that many of them. He around. wasn't a specialist, right? Right. He was he a synthesis. Right, but he didn't have um, uh, the facility with uh, being able to memorize everything. Mm-hmm. I think it was. I think that was his big, big problem. Is uh, he wasn't able to just know everything, and then there was an argument as to why that would be a bad feature mm-hmm. in regular people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, and then of course his son. His son has every skill under the planet, right? Uh-huh. He's got he's tele, a telepathic. He can he memorizes everything. Um he and he com, seems completely immoral. <laughs> he's like yeah. a Well, he uh remember Claude tells him, you know, when they're talking about survival traits. Mm-hmm. So Felix says, uh um Claude, I'll tell you why. Conceding that I am a superior survival type. I don't argue that. It's true. I'm smart and I'm able and I know it. Even so, I know of no reason why the human race should survive, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that their makeup ensures that they will. But there's no sense to the whole bloody show. There's no point to being alive at all. I'm damned if I'll contribute to continuing the comedy. Mm -hmm. And that's his main problem with having a kid, yeah. Yeah, that seems kind of like an an excuse when when it... when he doesn't have any, um, when he doesn't have any stake in the raising of the child, like they're happy to take his his germplasm. Yeah, and they and, they asked him that, didn't they? They said, "Hey, yep. just just give us that, and then we'll we'll go away." <laughs> yeah, but and, uh, another, I mean, oh, sorry, there, there is an argument to be said that you know, uh, by conceding a little bit there, he is conceding to the. To the whole, to the whole joke, right? The the pointlessness that is existence. He's mm-hmm. very French <laughs> at yeah. this moment in the, in the novel. Yeah. Um, 
And now, well, I just needs a good woman. I understand now more of, you know, I haven't read a lot of Heinlein, but mm-hmm. this one um, surprised me in the treatment of women in it. Um, for example, when this guy is trying to convince Felix to have a kid, he says, and that's the woman right over there that right. Uh, you're going to be the perfect mate with. And he's like, oh, whatever. He's and then he leaves. Cousin. Yeah, and then he leaves. And then she, they they end up in the same bar or something. Mm-hmm. And he discovers who she is. So he grabs her by the hair, puts her arm behind her back and slams her into the bar. And then he says, I'm going to kiss you. Yeah. <laughs> and she's pretty much fine with the entire thing. Yeah. You know? she, she has a gun too, right? Yeah, she yeah. does. Yeah. That's right. I guess he disarms her. Yeah, I think she. Yeah. I think he slaps her too. He does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, bringing her back to her rightful position. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. More and, ways uh, yeah, that was shocking. I was like, "Holy yeah. crap!" <laughs> so that's what everybody's talking about when they talk about Highlands women. Suburbia uh, would approve yeah. this novel. No, probably Highlands. Not. Highlands women really like what they're just. You know, like what men's baser instincts want them to be, pretty much. I don't. I, I don't think Heinlein distinguishes very well between characters. I mean, they all seem like, no matter who's talking. So it's a it's a man with a woman's body. It's no, they're they're not all even men with women's bodies. They're all Heinlein talking. So <laughs> it's like this guy's arguing with that guy, and they all have the same turns of phrase, and and mm-hmm. uh, he, he doesn't he doesn't do like. Uh, realistic characters unless unless they're all him you know in which case i guess they're all realistic but he, he didn't get better uh later on i don't think so okay. i think i think that you know his real strength i mean i was thinking about how how inhumane all of these characters were it, it was almost as if they were um i mean remember there's the who's the guy who's the football star who comes from the past i mean that's a whole whole subplot in the book right <laughs> Football yeah. star, oh, no. frozen. Uh, he's he's frozen in a stasis field from 1926, and and ends up in the in the far future with uh, no skills, and right. his Bond career is ruined. I mean, there's lots of comments on on uh, uh, you know, uh, there's definite definite satire going on, and that's what makes me not know what what Heinlein's trying to say a lot of the time is he seems to be arguing for things and then uh, rejecting them and then accepting them and then still questioning them. But uh, there's no resolution other than everybody's going to be a telepath. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Darlington Smith. Is that that the guy from the man from the past? I believe so. He was in the Adirondack Stasis field. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, now this, the whole telepathy thing, um, mm-hmm. that is a take on it that I don't recall having come across before, where the, he has the son that's a telepath, and then they have an infant that's a telepath, and basically they use this machine to connect the, the son with the infant, and the the son can see the infant's thoughts, and the infant is thinking of things um, that it would have no business knowing as an infant. Right. And that's and that, how they decided, oh, there the must there must yeah. be a an afterlife or a pre life or both, right? No, it's reincarnation. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, so, I, I under I understand that, but that's just the conclusion that they came to is that there is life after death. There's something yeah. else beyond. Yes, yes. 
Right. So, um, but that was interesting. I haven't, I don't recall coming across that before. It's, it seems familiar. Like, um, I know you Some, mentioned, you mentioned Dune and Dune would have come after this. Oh yeah. But, way, uh, way after. yeah. And then also Joseph Campbell had something to do with Dune, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. He was, uh, he oh, bought John Dune. W. Campbell, you mean? Huh. Oh, what Not did Joseph I say? Campbell. I say, oh, I keep saying Joseph, Joseph Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. No, huh. John W. Campbell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had something um, to do with both these books. I think uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, he's probably, that's the part he probably inspired is all the telepathy. But uh, they don't seem to talk about telepathy these days. That's use. It's, it's, it, it was bunk back then. It's bunk now. I mean, there's, they, they don't even try to explain it. They just say it's, it's, it's obvious that any, uh, statistically insignificant, group of people will have some sort of genetic capacity for telepathy. No, that's not obvious to me. Where do you get that from? Where do you get that little piece of information from? Now, um, do, do you guys ever read uh, Podcane of Mars? That's one of uh, Heinlein's juvi- juvenile novels. I have not. No? no? Nope. So there's a sort of a connection there between this book and that. Um, because uh, that, that book's about a young girl... I think she's 14, 15, something like that, who um, goes on a interstellar journey uh, uh, with her uncle and her younger brother. And uh, the the younger brother is super, super smart, like our 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 baby boy in this story, right? And an asshole, just like this little baby in this story. And um, and um, was decanted uh, when the mother wanted to have another child. Um, she was genetically older. Uh, oh, sorry, genetically younger than her brother. Like she was conceived to be first, but he was he was he was uh, frozen, I guess, as an embryo, and was later on um, birthed on Mars. As a, uh, as a, as a, uh, I don't know, as a second child, and uh, a lot of Heinlein stuff seems to do with fertility and and um, in vitro fertilization, and uh, you know he never had any children, right? No, actually, I didn't know that. I don't know much about him, but I didn't. Yeah, he didn't have any children. Uh-huh. How ironic. Well, I don't think, I think it's, you know, the reason he's talking about this stuff is he's probably, like, trying to have children, and this is sort of what he's, he's researching. Um, did, he have, did he have trouble having children in real life? Yeah. He, oh. he was uh, infertile, apparently. Oh. And, um, and uh, it's, uh, I'll see what, there's a Heinlein wiki, or not wiki, uh, yeah, did Heinlein have any children from the FAQ on nitosyncratic.com? It says, no, Heinlein fathered no children during his lifetime, and none of his three wives ever had children by him or anyone else. Nor did Heinlein ever adopt any children. The evidence is that Heinlein was infertile, or perhaps subfertile, perhaps due to poor childhood nutrition. Even in an era more given to having children with an ingrained family history of wanting and rearing children, 
Only one of his three brothers fathered children. Although the others adopted, this indicates there may have been a genetic or developmental problem to Heinlein's siblings. And there have been many people claiming to be Heinlein's children over the years, but that's none of them are real. Huh. Um, but uh, it, it seems to come up again and again in his books is talking about uh, the process of, of having children as a, a very f- important focus, and yet for him, it never happened. Um, huh. So I think you know it's, he's sort of he's talking about all the things that he's interested in, and um, one place that appears in this novel for me really obviously is is the first novel he wrote that never got published until recently. Um, for us, the living has the exact same economic system as is in this book. Do you recall the system of economics used in this novel? Um, no, I, I don't remember it specifically. I, it Just at the very well, beginning, Wiki- he was talking economics. Right. Right. Wikipedia says it's social credit, but I didn't really understand it. Yeah, so social credit, social credit is the philosophy he was espousing in the novel um, called... Beyond This Horizon. Uh, sorry, not Beyond This Horizon. For Us, The Living, which is his first and last novel. It was never published during his lifetime, and it was published uh, within the last decade. And it was an idea in the 1930s as to how to solve the the economic problems the, the country was having. And Heinlein seemed to have become fascinated with it and uh, become an espouser of it briefly. Um, that novel, for us, The Living, has a very detailed analysis of what's going on. But um, this one just basically runs it through and gives, a, gives us the fact that it is that same economic model. Um, the basic idea is that it's like a game of Monopoly, right? Where we've got a fixed amount of ca- uh, cash in the system. Um, and every time we go around the board, you've got a a bunch of cash being given out to different people. Any money that is not in circulation, that is being held back, is actually harmful to the economy and will cause an eventual collapse uh, of the system. So the idea behind social credit is to take real improvements to growth economic growth due to technological or other kinds of efficiencies and put that into the hands of the players or the citizens in the society, the consumers who will who will most likely to keep it in circulation. So in a way, it sounds a little bit like socialism where the government is giving money to uh, everyone in the society, especially those who are most likely to spend it, i.e. the poor. Uh, but it's it's a very strange um, uh, in that it's also <laughs> in Canada when it was implemented by a group of uh, a par- oh, political party called Social Credit, which was inspired by the same movement. Um, it was uh, considered a right wing party rather than a left wing party. Um, but it's it's still the case that in Alberta, where Social Credit got started, that the people who who were born in Alberta during the period get dividend checks from the government 
with regard to oil and gas exploration. So just by being an Albertan, you would get money in the mail. Nice. It is. It is uh, kind of. It is kind of nice in the idea, but the idea is that they're trying to fix the economy. And it, it, in the 1930s, you know, they had such a huge recession that uh, people were a little bit more willing to to try new things and new ideas. Um, but social credit is not popular anymore, and I, I don't. I think Heinlein shied away from it later on. Yeah, that's what it says in the Wikipedia for the novel. What's it say? Oh, is there a Wikipedia mentioning the novel? Yeah, this will be on this Horizon Wikipedia entry. Oh, oh, I thought you meant on the social credit. Uh, yeah, and then it, and then it says uh, he has lectures on social credit, but later he hid his involvement with it. Yeah, I'm not sure where that hit hit it uh, comes in, but it certainly is the case that that uh, it was not the focus. I, uh, le- I've read uh, novels from the 1960s and 70s that used essentially the same system. Mac Reynolds had uh, essentially the same system, uh, slightly, slightly modified. But the idea is you don't let the top 1% have 80% of the wealth because it hurts the economy uh, of, you know, of which most people are participants, right? Mm-hmm. You, you let the economy do its job which is to serve the society as a whole and if you 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 know you're skimming off the top and keeping stuff for yourself then that hurts basically the the there's a there is a little argument in this novel talking about how um you don't need to have money backed by gold or something else right if the if if money is a symbol or something, um, it doesn't need to be backed by another symbol or something. It's just a symbol. And if we all have faith in the symbol, then it just works. But it, 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 is, it does really point to the, the hard question, what is money? Right? Money is little pieces of paper that people will fight for. <laughs> Why do they fight for these little pieces of paper and not those little pieces of paper? Because the symbol on it is different. Uh, I'll fight harder for uh, a $20 bill than I will for a $5 bill, right? And I have a preference for a $20 bill over a $5 bill. Why is that? It's not because the paper has value uh, more than the other, because they don't. It's just that because I perceive it as having value and you perceive it as having value. It's kind of a consensual hallucination. And Heinlein is trying to point that out to us, I guess. And, and it, it does, you know, sort of speak to the modern society where when the government needs money, it can just print more money. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it might become less valuable. Well, that's the theory, right? But if there's less money in circulation, then that, that might not actually be true. So one, one solution to solving uh, the debt crisis is to make the money less valuable uh, if, if it's all in circulation, but to just put more money into the actual stirring of the pot, you know, the actual functioning. Because if it's just sitting in the bank, it, as most money is, is just, you know, ones and zeros on computers rather than actual physical bills, and it's not being used, then it's actually not in the economy. Right, because right. none of it's backed, 
and and it it can sort of make your head spin when you think about it. But it's true. If you've got a big stack of paper over here, and th- those are marked with fives, and a big stack of paper over there, and those are marked with twenties, um, what's the difference between those two stacks other than the symbol? The only difference is that one one a person is w- more willing to fight for the twenties than they are for the fives. I can buy more video games with the 20s. That's right. You can buy more video games with mm-hmm. the 20s. Or you can buy more copies of the same uh, electronic book with the 20s. Right? <laughs> right. You start to see how uh, eventually the, the whole system it does only <laughs> go to zeros and ones, right? Mm-hmm. Or right. Completely, completely symbolic stuff. Right, right. Uh, Interesting. You guys notice what kind of... Uh, Beds these guys were sleeping on. Oh, he invented the waterbed. Hmm. Uh, he didn't invent the waterbed, but he sort of conceived of the waterbed. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. This is the this is the first uh, time that happened in his career. He he mentioned it mentions it in other novels as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. But uh, <laughs> hey, it's um, kind of what he's famous for. <laughs> I honestly didn't notice it listening to it, but then in Wikipedia, it said okay. it. Cool. Hey, I found uh, in my I have a book called the John W. Campbell Letters, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, there's nothing to Heinlein in the '40s in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found one to Frank Herbert, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. um, in Ju- June third, nineteen sixty-three, um, he-, he says, "Dear Frank, uh, congratulations! You're now the father of a fifteen-year-old Superman. But I bet you ain't gonna like it." <laughs> And then it goes on and he says, As the father and or stepfather of several literary supermen, I've learned something about their care and upbringing. They're very recalcitrant, also hard to live with. Um, You can't think like a superman. You can't imagine his motivations. He's altruistic and superman, which means he will sacrifice the highest good you can imagine for the sake of something you couldn't understand even if he explained it to you. Um, no human being can write about the thoughts, philosophy, motivations, or evaluations of a Superman, which is almost uh, a sentence in Beyond This Horizon. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And but so that was in 1963, which was 21 years after this book was published. But yeah, so John W. Campbell purchased this novel from Heinlein. Yeah, I think John W. Campbell, he he sort of had a, a set character to him. Uh, in a way, like Heinlein did, and <laughs> I guess maybe maybe we're all like this. We don't change very much over uh-huh. time, uh, no matter how hard the women in our lives try to change us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll change him. Yeah, yeah that that letter is particularly him. interesting because he goes on and on about how, um, boy, you're going to have trouble writing about this guy because if there's three novels in this, you're you're, you're making a trilogy. If you're doing yeah. this in three parts, you're going to have a hard time dealing with this guy. And then uh, John Campbell hated Dune Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely hated the direction he went with it, which was he brought the downfall of Paul basically um, because Paul lost control of his followers. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Kind of a connecting theme, anyway. Yeah. If you call Hamilton Felix the Superman, which the the genetics guy seemed to be saying, but Hamilton Felix never seemed really convinced of it. Well, I think you know if you if you read the original Dune, uh, 
the the what's it, the Bene Gesserit mother, whatever her name is, uh, she she's saying, uh, no, it's not him. It's going to be his his son, right? He's not going to be the Kwisatz Haderach. It's going to be his son. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We're we're busy breeding a a uh, a Superman here, Jessica. What are you doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we've got a plan going, and and uh, and in a way, that's sort of what we've got here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. His uh, he's a star line, which is like I, I don't. Does that mean they put a star beside his name, <laughs> or does that mean like uh, he's um, he's uh, gonna be high a star. quality, or yeah, or does it mean that it can branch out, like he can branch off and make a whole whole um, genetic diverse diverse uh, atom sort of thing? I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe maybe in the genetic diagram they have a star. Yeah, yeah, but I think a bunch of different lines going in, going into it. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, stuff in here that is just, it just should not be. <laughs> all of this shouldn't all be in the same novel. I think. Yeah, and I, I guess like, I, it's probably one of the reasons it's not not reprinted a lot. But it feels like uh, he had too much to say and uh, didn't. I mean, this didn't get published as a paperback until 48, 1948, so well after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it was after that that he started uh, writing writing novels. He probably just had a, you know, a lot of novels in him that he wanted to get out. And if you look at his, his novel career, he, did, he does something that w- would be shocking today. He doesn't write sequels. Right. Yeah, there's no yeah. there's no series. I mean, unless it's all one big series with a, a thousand different uh, inconsistencies. There's mm-hmm. no there's not much in the way of repeating characters except quite late in his his career he wrote some sort of uh ones that tie everything together in in a kind of a joking multiverse way. But each novel normally has several ideas he wants to explore and uh he just sort of thinks about them i think on paper so and this one is too full of stuff i think yeah, too too many too many things going on what yeah, I guess um, because it was serialized he just kept uh he, he couldn't really unify it so he just kind of poured out whatever think, he had i think i think he just he had uh, a few ideas and he just said ah now what about this and then he threw that in and then of course john w campbell says more telepathy <laughs> needs more telepathy <laughs> Uh, I so sense what do you, that you want to write more telepathy. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you guys think is the uh, best Heinlein novel? Hmm. I actually haven't read that many. I haven't either. Oh. So maybe this is a question for Jesse. But um, I, Moon, I, I, Moon I is read, a Harsh Mistress is the one I hear most often. I've read almost every Heinlein novel, uh-huh. and Moon is a Harsh Mistress is fantastic. It's a, I mean, it's it's got a little bit of uh, stuff that seems silly but the majority is it's just uh it's it's for one it's got actually um uh, probably the most diverse Heinlein character it's got a computer uh intelligent computer as one of the characters and that that Mm. adds a little bit of diversity to Mike yeah his name is Mike that's right (laughs) um I'm I'm a big fan of Double Star which is one of his early novels um and it's about an actor who, it's kind of like a Moon Over Parador. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. I don't remember that movie, but I've read Double Star. Uh, well, it's kind of the Prince and the Pauper. Uh-huh. Uh, in the sense that 
there's a person who replaces the king and uh, Richard Dreyfus, right? Yeah. And uh, in the case of um, Double Star, it's an actor. The, an actor is the main character, and he he has to substitute for a uh, I think it was a Martian politician who who is crucially needed at a signing ceremony with the Martian natives, and he's sick, so he substitutes, and then. The subs, the guy he's substituting for dies, and he has to keep going. And the novel is basically the, you know, the events surrounding that, and then his looking back on on what happened. And it's it's a it's a very um, short, good read, and uh, it's got lots of lots of good characterization. I mean, for Heinlein, it's not one of his strengths, but it's one of his better characterizations, and it's got got good ideas in it too. Cool, cool. Yeah, I read, yeah, I, I read the beginning of Starship Troopers. I really like that, but then it gets into a whole dialogue thing in the middle. I think I think that's a wonderful book too. But it's um, it's uh, it sort of spawned the whole military SF, yeah, uh, which sort of makes it a little less um, I don't know, original now. If you go back and read it, and you're everybody's made. You know, a thousand armor, armored, powered armor, battle books. It sort of doesn't feel as a as startlingly original. Although there are there's some amazingly interesting political ideas in there. Uh, okay, I like his short stories a lot. I've read many short stories, and they're um, almost all from this period, from the late 1930s, early 40s. Yeah, no, yep. Good stuff. Um, Remember by his bootstraps from yeah. 2000X? Yeah. That was great. Oh yeah, <laughs> audio I heard that drama, too. fantastic. That, that's nice Dreyfus with the pair of headphones. Because <laughs> yeah, it's... Richard Dreyfus had several roles in that, and if you listen to it in oh, headphones, yeah. there are several differences. <laughs> subtle differences in every character kind of comes through the speakers differently. It's really mm-hmm. kind of a fascinating listen. Every character. How many characters are there, sir? There are well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, several at once. <laughs> Same character all at once, right? Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite 2000X episodes. Yeah, for sure. For they sure. performed by a full cast of one. <laughs> <laughs> you bet, you bet. I, I think the first thing. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Dan. I was going to say I heard some uh, um, audio book from the library, and it was like. A kid has a ball, and the ball is actually an alien on Mars. Yeah. But I forget what the title of the book was. Called um, Red Planet, and the ball is named Willis. Yeah, so I, I mean, I find that amusing. I think <laughs> that's probably the first Highland. It's a very good novel. Red. What's that good. one called? It's called uh, Red Planet. Red Planet. It's one okay. of the juvenile yep. ones. Nice. And then, of course, there's Have Space and Will Travel. Yeah, that's that's probably the one most people pick, and I know it's read in school fairly often. Um, I think it's a a great start to the book too. It's got it's got a yeah, nice family dynamic, but um, I've recently re re listened to it or reread it. I guess maybe five years ago or something, and I found that the the plot itself is not that great. It's got aliens in it. Yeah, I kind of got lost with it later on with the little girl and. But it it has a super great intro. I mean, the boy the boy wants to uh, go to space, and so his 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 uh, method of going to space is to get a spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> no rockets, no, and no. He, he builds his own suit, right? And he describes no, how he, he wins it. it in a contest. Oh, he wins it. Oh. Yeah. 
you know, I think he describes the operation really well, though. Yeah, but he cleans it up and he yeah. renews renews parts of it. I mean, if if that was the only thing that I mean, it's a it's a kind of a fantasy wish fulfillment sort of thing as well, and that I think that's why it's one of the reasons it's popular in schools is it gets kids interested in you know a sympathetic. You you get into your spacesuit to test it out, and all of a sudden, aliens come out of the sky and say, "We need you!" <laughs> like grab you up and take you off to space, right? That that sounds like a a fun book. Yeah, Heinlein, so Heinlein would have been a great dad, I think, because uh-huh. he would have had uh, lots of lots of fun stories. Sure, sure. Yeah, Fullcast Audio has been publishing a lot of the juveniles. Yeah, I wanted and to t- tell you. That's that, right, yeah. your full cast. Recent yeah. one, uh, good book. Yeah, so they have Have Spacesuit, Will Travel, and then just came in yesterday is uh, Tunnel in the Sky. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great. That's a, And that's also a, Red Planet. They did Red Planet, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's what it was. It was full cast. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Tunnel in the Sky is a, is a, it's a fun book, and it's kind of interesting. You know what it's, it's fairly similar to is, is The Hunger Games. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, it's about a group of school children who uh, are, as part of their graduation um, requirement, are put in a survival situation on an alien planet. Uh-huh. Um, and it's sort of like, uh, I guess, uh, what's that? Um, what's that story with the, the kids on the island and there's a pig? You know the one I mean? Oh, you- uh, Lord of oh, the Flies. Uh, Lord, Lord of the, the Flies. Yeah. It's kind of like Lord of the Flies, except it's a sort of a science fiction version. Um, uh, because they're all trapped there. For some reason, they can't, um, they can't get back to Earth. So all the, the, the students are, have to reform society based upon the fact that they don't think they're going to be rescued. And so the girls and boys start pairing up, uh, planning to make uh, new lives for themselves. And... Um, building building to society on an alien planet, or maybe it's not an alien planet. Maybe it's a part of Earth that hasn't been spent time on. Right? It's, mm. it's they don't know where they were sent, and so there's a, a mystery there, and there's also a um, uh, sort of a you know Missouri Missouri we we can do it kind of attitude. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> The, yeah. It's kind of funny though, um, as as uh, you know, full cast audio is focused on books that are acceptable for families mm-hmm. rather than uh, books with lots of swearing. Uh-huh. Um, as they are going through Heinlein's uh, Heinlein's juveniles looking for books to do, they're becoming uh, increasingly likely to find the the novels with sort of questionable uh, stuff in them. So, like uh, Red Planet has a lot of nudity. Hmm. Um, I think they they have uh, everybody in the house goes around naked because it's hot inside the house. <laughs> like, okay, there's mom naked, there's the baby naked, and there's dad naked. Okay, um, very practical. Very practical. Right? I mean, w- why it's so hot on Mars? I don't really understand, considering that it's frozen outside. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in Tunnel of the Sky, I think it has a little bit of uh, sex in it. I can't. I can't recall exactly how much, but it's um, it's not like uh, it, it, it. He he was writing it, I guess, as a 
juvenile, but it's it's sort of quasi not a juvenile. That case, like Starship Troopers, is in a sense a juvenile, and it's got a young young guy as the main character, but it also feels more transitional than uh, some of his other stuff of his many novels. Right. So, uh, yeah, based on this, you probably don't want to read another Heinlein novel for its plot, but I think this is the worst n- novel uh, in terms of plot that he's ever written. I, I, yeah, I think I go to read some people say, oh, this is the worst Heinlein novel. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that 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 I mean it's it's got a worse plot than the 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 uh, nineteen thirty nine one that was never published that was re- recently found and published. Um, but uh, another thing that it shares uh, with with uh, for us the living is the the man from the past who comes to the future. Now mm-hmm. in this novel, that's not the focus. He he. That guy really almost does nothing in in this, in terms of the plot of of uh, Beyond This Horizon, but in uh, for us the living he is the main character, and he allows us to uh, be brought up to speed on what the society is like, right? Yeah. yeah. And I guess there's a little bit of that in uh, Beyond This Horizon, with regards to. Uh, <laughs> Some things, but more more often it's like, uh, do you think that people in two hundred years will not know what football is? That seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, Don't I think mean, it's soccer. I, I w- <laughs> <laughs> Soccer's been around a long time, so yeah, you'd think that football is going to keep going. Yeah, uh, but even even if maybe after the wars, these things were forgotten. I don't no, know. But even if it doesn't keep going, like. Um, I I've got a good, pretty good handle on what people were doing 200 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, they were reading books and uh-huh. going to church, and you know, uh, if they were doing a sport called bligablong, uh, I don't know about it, but I have a feeling that they they weren't doing a sport called bligablong. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a just sort of a almost willful ignorance of the past and and. It feels artificial. Mm-hmm. Yep. How many years in the future is this supposed to be set, anyways? You know? Good question. Sure. I don't know. I was going to say, but what well, wasn't there several wars? Like there was a eugenics war and a atomic war. Yeah, yeah. I remember something he like mentioned that, yeah. some. Maybe like a lot of information was lost or something. Maybe. Yep. Maybe. Yeah, you know, we didn't read the kind of opening to this book. What's what's that? It says. Uh, all of them should have been very happy. Um, mm. Their problems were solved. The poor, they had, they no longer had with them. The sick, the lame, the halt, and the blind were historic memories. The ancient causes of war no longer obtained. They had more freedom than man had ever has ever enjoyed. All of them should have been happy. And that's the opening paragraph of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a good opening. And um, I guess the the implication is that Hamilton Felix was not happy because he thought it was all meaningless. Uh, I guess that's he, what he's talking about. I don't know. He was too happy. Because I, everybody I think, was happy except for Felix. I think this is a novel that got written and didn't get edited. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so he just starts writing one day and he's 
puts that in and says, oh, this sounds great. And then starts <laughs> writing about this guy who's frozen in the 1926. Why 1926? Makes no sense to me. Uh-huh. I mean, there's whole plot, whole threads. This is like a, an, it's like a work in progress or something. It's kind of like Space Merchants, like it's serialized, so it's it doesn't really hold together when you look at the whole thing. I, I agree. But uh, if you just look at pieces of it, then it's, it's there's some witty stuff in there. Well, I think Space Merchants um, at least has a, a uniting theme with regards to you know advertising and sort of a, being a satire. Whereas this is, it's is it a dystopia, utopia? Is it a time travel book is it uh, economics uh, i mean in it's all way, of those things and much like, more yeah <laughs> um it's it's you know it's in the line with um with uh, like the unincorporated man in a way it's got the frozen man from the past that comes to the future and finds himself but he's not the main character so i think it's just got too much going on in it and if you sort of combed through it you could probably find five or six different, you know, maybe four or five anyways, different novels that could have been written based on what was actually happening. Or short stories or novellas or something. It's a cornucopia. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of quotations in it that people like, right? Mm-hmm. They come to mind. Um and the the main one being that armed society is a polite society. I don't live in the states. Is that true? Are you guys polite? More polite? <laughs> we're than very Canadians? very polite. I don't know if we're more polite than Canadians. I don't think that's true. I think we're an unarmed society, and we're much more likely to say, yeah. "I'm sorry, I beg your pardon." Yeah, probably correct. Well, there's no guns in England. Is that a polite society? Fuck on a. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So ah. we just had the. I was thinking of the riots. Yeah. Uh, no, I guess not. Um. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I would like to live in that society, because uh, having duels all the time seems like right. a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And Felix had the old-fashioned gun. You know, uh, there's two reviews that in the Wikipedia entry. I tried to find both of them in my magazines, but I, I, could, I did not have either copy. Anthony Boucher uh, said it was among the finest wow. fiction novels of the modern crop, which I think is probably a very dim view of what's, <laughs> what's going on in science fiction at the time. Um. And then uh, P. Schuler Miller, another reviewer, said, um, In true Heinleinian manner, the basic theme of the book smashes the screen of the action only in the closing pages. And I don't find that to be true at all. So I think, I think we're probably just living in a wealth of uh, riches compared to 1942, 1948. Mm-hmm. You can probably find a good review for any book. No, but these are these are you know there wasn't that many reviews okay. back then. I mean these are these are contemporary contemporary reviews. I mean if you think if if you had to pick science fiction novels from the twentieth century that uh, were the greats, can you name any from prior to nineteen fifty? 
and I would say Brave New World and 1984. <laughs> and that's about it. I can't think of any anything else that's great. Mm-hmm. Can you? I'm not really strong on that era. Yeah, I don't think anyone is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I, I know there are, there are books between then and, and there, but not many. What about Frankenstein? That, but that's not 19th, 20th century, right? Oh, I'm saying true. There, oh, there 20th are, century, you know, okay. Yeah, just 20th, between 1900. I mean, what about all of H.G. Uh, Wells, right? But th- that's 19th century for the most part. Um, but between 1950 and 1900, I don't think there's a, a more than a handful of, of science fiction novels that are worth reading today. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I know of, anyways. So, my guess is that from this, from uh, this sort of first timeline novel, we get uh, the great diaspora of science fiction novels that basically Heinlein created, because he was the first guy to publish novels uh, for a living uh, in the science fiction genre after World War II. Mm. And after him, there could be other kinds of science fiction novels published as novels, not serialized necessarily, straight straight okay. to the straight to the paper book. Was he so, the first one to have a hardback published? Uh, if he wasn't the first, he was uh, the most notable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there had been hardback publishers prior to uh, World War II, but. After World War II, he was basically it. So, uh, I was trying to think of like a Hugo Gernsback novel. I guess it's more historically significant than actually you could read. Like, didn't he write the first science fiction novel or something? Uh, he wrote science or, fiction, but he he didn't write much. He wrote Ralph Two One Four C or something, right? But that's uh, that's uh, way prior to World War II. Okay. Uh, Foundation is probably the other one that people think of, you know. Um, I, I Asimov. You, you say you haven't read it? No. Oh. Am I missing out? Uh, I think it's something people should read. I, I loved it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Foundation series. The whole series I liked. I actually have Even the, the later ones somewhere. I liked. 1951 is one that was first published as a paperback. I'm sorry, hardback. So, I, I think we get um, a couple of Heinlein juvies right after this. Uh, what was the the first Heinlein juvenile novels? Kids build a rocket ship, go to the moon, only to discover that the Nazis are already there. Oh, no. Yeah, it's Rocket Ship Galileo. And actually, it's a good book. should be uh, turned into a, a full cast audio. That, that's one they haven't done yet. Is that Generation Ship book good? Oh, yeah, yeah. Universe is actually a good book. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what I was craving for when I was listening to this one. I wanted something more yeah. in space, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Sucker for space. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.